The views expressed on this video and podcast are the opinions of the participants only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Miner and Landis, its employees or clients. Hi, I'm Lynn Walker, immigration partner at Miner and Landis, and welcome to our Immigration Update Podcast. As some of our listeners know, we sometimes like to talk about topics that are outside of business immigration that we believe will be really helpful to immigration practitioners and foreign nationals as well as their families. Today, we are honored to welcome our guest, Luis Enrique Diaz-Payas, an immigration attorney and founder of Payas Law, who works with a unique population seeking asylum and deportation or removal assistance. Specifically, Luis works with the LGBTQI plus population. And as we're aware, that population can face some unique challenges with regard to US law in general, but specifically with US immigration law. So Louise, thank you for joining us today. And I wanted to start off by asking you if you could share your background with our listeners and tell us a little bit about how you got involved with immigration law. Thank you for having me, Lynn. Um, I was born in Colombia. I applied um, to law school in the United States from Colombia, and then I came here with the F-1 visa. And, I, and then I graduated with my jury doctor degree, and then I became a licensed attorney. And, and you know, law school is very expensive. So I, I had no work permit, no family support, no friends in the, here in the country. So I, and I, I didn't work with authorization because I was following the F1 status, right? Mm -hmm. So I, 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 after a while, paying law school with the money that I brought from Colombia. So I became like a financially challenged, right? And I started learning English at the same time when I was in law school. Uh, and then when I was, I started practicing immigration law, I realized that this profession is 80, 85% of attorneys are white. And then I, I was dealing with all this new knowledge about the legal profession, that they were not ready to deal with uh, attorneys like me, with an accent, with like different particularities about. And so that was also like a, something that I had to learn and uh, when I start practicing immigration law. And I also identify as conceptual and an atheist. So, and I think that it's also was, uh, at the same time I was going through the immigrant process because I became a US citizen a few days ago. And uh, so I deal with the law vulnerabilities that I, they were new for me. Um, and I think I started doing therapy and I started like, you know, like learning about what was happening around me. And I think that knowledge about vulnerability as an immigrant, dealing with financial difficulties, with no family support, with no work permit, dealing with my own uh, sexual orientation, being an atheist person in the United States, and working with an environment that is ruled by white attorneys mostly, with an accent, um, with this accent that, you know, because I was learning English recently, when I was in law school. So I think that that knowledge is also made me uh, like more aware about 
vulnerabilities that immigrants faced. Mm -hmm. So I was all, I was learning and I was accumulating law experience at practicing immigration law. But at the same time, I learned that those vulnerabilities as, as that I was dealing with also now is part of my practice, it's part of me. Because now I can see those vulnerabilities in my clients. Mm -hmm. And I can see other issues that are silent, even for immigration attorneys, silent issues about talking about mental health. And, and and how to deal with the client is being aggressive the client is being like extremely anxious or like clients that are unable to work because they don't have the work authorization or clients dealing with you know like uh, adapting to the country so and i think that part of my that part of my experience is also important because i now even able to talk to immigration attorneys and tell them Okay, yes, your client, your client is transitioning to a new identity. So, and I can see how is, you know, client is dealing with mental health challenge. Or, yeah, so that, I think that part is also uh, who I am now. And I'm also using this personal experience in my daily work as an attorney. So, Louis, you're here today to talk to us about some of what you've discovered to be silent issues that many immigration lawyers face in their day-to-day -day activities interacting with clients. And we hope that by having discussions about these issues, we'll be able to help those who are seeking asylum or deportation and removal assistance or are otherwise having an immigration crisis. So let's get to the questions. So Louise, your biography says that you are dedicated to providing legal assistance and advocacy to vulnerable populations. Can you tell us who you work with and some of the specific challenges and legal issues that your clients face? Um, about 90% of my clients are LGBTQ plus uh, immigrants. And I think most of them are like facing uh, removal proceedings or seeking asylum or family members or couples. So if we were to compare, for example, what makes their legal issues unique or possibly more challenging or, or more difficult than some of the issues that your, your non-LGBTQI clients face? I think... Uh, uh, it depending of the claim, for example, like my client seeking asylum, uh, sometimes they are like uh, asking asylum in the United States based on gender identity or sexual orientation. And they are still dealing with the transition process here in the United States, or they are still like coming out from the closet. And they are still dealing with, uh, you know, self-discovering and also the mental health issues about persecution from the home country and also the resistance and they uh, are facing with the asylum system in the United States, which is very, as you know, difficult. For my clients who are couples, uh, they are facing some of the different challenges <clears throat> because they don't have like a normal or like perceived normal uh, relationship uh, to show how they met, how the relationship is evolving, because like the normal, heteronormative concept about relationship is not the same with for a same-sex couple. 
Uh, other issues are about HIV, for example. <clears throat> Some clients are like uh, afraid to disclose the HIV status, or even they can think that HIV status can be an issue for uh, getting green card approved. And I think mental health is also a big issue for all my clients. Not only because they are dealing with trauma and the persecution they are there like escaping from, but also because of long waits from the government for the cases. And also like all the challenges that they're facing here with the language barrier and with all the like difficulties in the system uh, when they are applying for a green card or they are facing removal or they are seeking asylum. It's overwhelming. The, the, what, what a lot of clients face um, and it is really wonderful that they have an advocate such as yourself and many other asylum attorneys who are fighting this and, and providing guidance and support along the way that is so critical to their success. So Luis, if a, a client comes to you, what are the, some of the things that you do to assist potential clients? Um, and are, are there places that you can refer people for additional help? First, I need to see where my client is at. And then I always like to talk in the beginning, like mental health is also part of the case. And I really uh, respectfully encourage all of them to seek uh, mental health services providers. And if they don't have insurance, I refer them to like a LGBT center here in New York City. They can provide sometimes um, mental health and therapy without insurance. And we have other resources in the city available for them. And so because I want to talk um, that the mental health um, is part of the legal case. I, I like to talk about that uh, like openly in the, in the, at the beginning. Because I think we, we as, as an attorney, we are no trained to deal with mental health issues. But I think uh, putting that in the table with, and from the beginning, I think it's important so they can not only start dealing with this consciousness and like uh, learning about the trauma, but also because I think we, we need mental health evaluations uh, for the case. And because of the long waits for every case, they had to deal better with anxiety or like lack of control, even depression or like uh, other issues that they're uh, dealing with. And I think talking um, about mental health as part of the legal case, the immigration case, I think is very helpful because they can see not only is because it's good for them, but it's good for the case. And Sometimes in countries like, like Latin America, for example, therapy and mental health services are perceived like something negative, like stigma attached. So, and it's not easy for them to seek, uh, you know, mental health uh, services because they think like, oh, something's wrong with me or I'm crazy. But I think when you put um, the ta on the table that the mental health uh, is necessary for the legal case, so they have like a different perspective. Um, and I think it's very helpful. And you, uh, I, I prefer to talk this uh, like openly with my clients. And I think that is really good uh, based on my experience. Has been great. I think that holistic approach that you take is really, really invaluable to clients, especially clients who are in crisis as many of 
our clients who seek asylum are. But even for me, for example, I became a U.S. citizen a few days ago. So I'm congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. But even for me, I mean, I am an immigration lawyer, right? But I, I was also like walking through the same uh, immigration journey, right? As an immigrant. Mm -hmm. So I learned how is to deal with uh, applying for a green card, getting your citizenship. So I also was able to feel that process in me. And I think that is also part um, about helping other uh, immigrants to deal with the with the legal case because you are always uh, in the new country with a new language, so you are changing. We are realizing that you are now a different person. Every day you are dealing with a new environment. You are in a new country, um, and I think uh, mental health is helping you as an immigrant to deal with those changes increasing your consciousness, increasing like uh, how you make decisions in the country, how you reduce risks. And and I think that is also helpful for the journey because if you as immigrant, you are dealing with your own mental health and challenges. So you are also helping the attorney working on your case. Mm -hmm. Because if you have this anxiety about the long waits, getting treated with the therapist, so you are not really pushing the attorney for updates or sometimes even the attorney uh, you know being blamed for the long waits mm -hmm. but that is not really being blamed it's just anxiety they are like uh, the client is suffering and they have no control mm -hmm. they have no like uh, power over the case so the only power that they have is sometimes blaming the attorney or like, asking the attorney for updates but that is just mental health unresolved yes. untreated I think therapy is also very important to be a successful immigrant, not only to get the case approved, the immigration case approved, but also having a good life in the United States, because most immigrants mm -hmm. come here to for a better life. But if the process is too long of re-traumatizing them and you are not seeking help, so and, and you are maybe sometimes not getting the better life that you were expecting here. I want to move on to some of the other topics that we had discussed during our earlier conversations. So uh, during those earlier conversations, you had mentioned that there are some silent issues that immigration practitioners have experienced. And some of these involve stereotypes that are held by clients. The first one that you discussed, which I found really fascinating and important was about pro bono or low cost legal advice. Can you share your experiences with that? Right now I am, I have my own private practice, but before having my own office, so I was a pro bono attorney for many years. So then I realized that sometimes clients from different other countries that they don't have these pro bono services, especially legal services, they are not familiar with those services. It's nothing is free in countries where they don't have resources for legal help, for even for food, right? So they're coming here to the United States and they're like, oh, now I have the free attorney, pro bono. So that's maybe the first sign that they're like, even like getting something free for an attorney. So that's confusing for them because they feel like sometimes they, sometimes they feel like because it's free, the attorney is not really motivated to work in the case. Uh, because, but they don't know that it's pro bono attorney, yes, but the attorney has a salary, right? It's working for a different organization, but it's confusing for them. 
or sometimes they feel like because it's pro bono is less quality, right? Um, because the attorney is learning or because the attorney is not motivated because it's free. But it's just a misconception because they don't really have those uh, concepts in the country of origin. And those, you know, in countries, undeveloped countries, governments, organizations, they don't have the resources to help people as per, on a pro bono basis. This is something very uh, uh, new for them. And this is confusing, I think. So that, that brings us to another issue that's somewhat related, another silent issue. If a person is new to the country and um, they're looking to find an attorney, how do they make sure that the person that they're hiring or speaking with is actually qualified? My recommendation for them is uh, schedule consultations with the attorney. And then uh, when you are in the consultation, ask where is the attorney licensed? And don't be afraid to ask uh, where mm -hmm. is the, like, the license was issued, right? Don't be afraid to ask that. Because that is confusing. Uh, and then you can like uh, then go after the consultation, go on Google, and then you can check uh, uh, if the license for the attorney is active. On some websites, even you can check if the attorney has disciplinary history. Um, to practice immigration law in the United States, because it's federal law, you have to be admitted and you have to be licensed in at least one state or territory of the United States. And for let's say that the attorney is telling you, okay, I'm licensed in Texas. So then you can go to the Supreme Court of Texas and then you can check if the license, the attorney, is active, and then in that in that way you you are like uh, trying to see if this person is a real attorney or is a notario or is a paralegal, mm -hmm. because it's sometimes confusing for for them to re, uh, to compare who is the licensed attorney in the United States and who is not, and because notarial fraud is like like a heavy crime happening right now around us. You can even find notarios or paralegals offering legal advice and they are not licensed attorneys. And that is a crime, like uh, offering legal services. We have the license in the United States. It's unfortunate, unfortunately a common crime. And most people, most immigrants don't realize that they're hiring a criminal. Sounds sound harsh, but it's the reality. So, Luis, if a listener needed immigration advice regarding asylum, how could they contact you for a consultation? They can go to my website. Website is paez.law, P-A-E-Z.law. Mm -hmm. Or you can just um, call me or like send me a message through WhatsApp or contact at 347-261-0100. Do you charge a consultation fee? Yeah, the, I charge for a consultation fee. Uh, and my style is uh, scheduling consultations, and they're usually about one and hour and 30 minutes, even sometimes even two hours. And that is my style about consultations. I prefer to have long consultations with my clients because I want to check all the immigration history, criminal history, their intentions. And I want to explain also if they qualify for any immigration benefit. And also, they, I can ask, clarify questions or concerns that they have. 
um, and something had to build the trust in the consultation because I want the mm -hmm. client to be able to disclose like sensitive uh, criminal issues or sensitive uh, topics that they are still like dealing with, like for for, for instance HIV, or like mm -hmm. uh, they're like they bought fake documents to work for work. So I need to be like able in the consultation, in the long consultation, to be able to build that trust with the client from the beginning, and then I can see if uh, I can see the whole picture. And this is why my style is scheduling long consultations. I charge for consultation 150, mm -hmm. but I, because I have I, my style having those long consultations. Before I schedule a consultation with for a client, I prefer to have a quick phone call to see what they are like the kind of services they are looking for, and if mm -hmm. those services are w within my scope or expertise, because I don't like to schedule consultations for immigrants that I know that they are no. I don't have the expertise for those cases, mm -hmm. so I prefer to have first like a, you can call me and I can just uh, like. In a few minutes, I can see what the immigrant is looking for. And then after that, I can schedule the consultation. Luis, it sounds like you were able to really use that to be to have compassion for your clients and to really understand in a way, in a perspective that most immigration attorneys can't understand. Our experience with immigration is only as an advocate on behalf of our clients, not where we've had to advocate for ourselves before immigration. And it's really amazing to me that you have been able to use that perspective to help as much as possible advocate for your clients, but make the passage through the legal system a bit smoother and more compassionate for them. This is the first time that I'm doing a podcast. I hope I hope you are enjoying my South American accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this space is very important uh, because, you know, when an immigrant is in the United States and they have this image about the attorney, they all had this like movies from Hollywood. The mm -hmm. attorney is winning cases like in famous movies, but they don't really have like these spaces to see attorneys with accents, or attorneys who mm -hmm. are like more similar to them. So, and I think like having this space in this podcast and also this is very important that you are doing this because it's like the way that we can promote ourselves so and immigrants can see attorneys also from a different perspective, not only in the movies from Hollywood and we need more spaces like this mm -hmm. because, you know, like uh, when you are going here um uh, immigration court in New York City, so all attorneys are, most, most attorneys are like me. You know, like for different countries with different accents, and I think we need more like uh, the attorney, the sorry, the immigrants get more familiar with attorneys of color, attorneys who are like uh, like uh, at the same time immigrants, attorney who has an an accent, right? Okay. And I think that is also important for this space, and I appreciate what you are doing. This is a great learning opportunity for me because uh, my practice has focused almost exclusively on business and family immigration. And while there is some, some 
opportunity to work with vulnerable populations. That's not something that I do every day. And it's really wonderful to speak to a practitioner who is making that positive impact. And it would be great to have you back on where you could share some of your client successes. Uh, I think it would help both our foreign national population to hear that people are successful in presenting these claims. Um, and it's really important for other, Im other immigration attorneys, but other people who are thinking about potentially going into immigration law and saying, most of the people in law don't look like me. It's nice for them to hear and see someone who looks like them. So thank you for being here. This has been just a fantastic experience for me. Thank you for me too. Thank you so much for having me for the invitation. I really appreciate you having me. So thank you for joining us today and our honored guest, Luis. That's all we have time for. If we didn't get to a question or a concern you have or an urgent immigration issue you may have about asylum law, or please feel free to reach out to Luis at the number provided at the end of this video. Um, if we didn't get to your question about an urgent business or family immigration issue, feel free to contact us to schedule a consultation. And please continue to send us questions on LinkedIn. We'll do our best to answer them in our next video or our next lightning round. And we do look forward to having Luis back on our podcast. So if you have any asylum or um, deportation or removal questions, please feel free to send those to Luis as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Disclaimer. The information contained herein is intended only for educational or informational purposes and is not a substitute for legal advice. Further, listening to this HR tip in no way establishes an attorney-client relationship between you and Minor and Landis LLP. Listeners should consult legal counsel for definitive advice regarding the current law and regulations and how those apply to your unique situation within your organization.